it's a very curious thing that in the world, all the attention is on disciplining our body and our affairs. And so we, we keep our cars clean and we make our bed and we make sure that our muscles don't sag. <laughs> and if someone's muscles sag, we condemn them. <laughs> and although there is all this emphasis on disciplining the body and what the body does to the goal of being extraordinary, to the goal of being set apart, standing out, being different. While this is going on, isn't it funny that the mind is allowed to wander anywhere it wishes? So that our mind is completely vulnerable. If we happen to lose our footing and fall down a very deep well, we can climb hand over hand up and we know that all the years in the spa had their purpose. <laughs> if a vicious dog attacks us, we can break its cute little neck because we have taken karate. But our mind is completely vulnerable. The slightest little question can carry us off for hours on some ridiculous pursuit. We can be going along and be quite happy and then we remember what someone said. <laughs> and then we're angry for hours because our mind has no discipline at all. It has no strength. Our minds are flabby and weak and it doesn't need to be that way. It takes much less time to tune up the mind and strengthen it and make it strong and make it so that it's a friend, it's a comfort. It creates the kind of atmosphere that we truly wish to carry with us far less time than it does to keep these poor bodies <laughs> strong against the assault of the years. Now, the reason that the topic this morning is dare to be ordinary, which is actually John Huntress's, uh, he came up with that, is because this seems to be the motivation of what we do in our lives. This is why we set external goals and really do work quite hard to achieve them. But if we look at the results of this kind of pursuit, we look carefully at it over a period of years, we begin to question whether or not this truly makes us happy. This, this desire to be extraordinary. And along comes something like A Course in Miracles. And in one form or another, whispers gently to us, walk through the world unnoticed. Try to make no difference at all in the world. Walk over all problems and all events and all issues as if walking on water. Be gentle and kind. 
But do not fight useless and endless battles. Do not try to reform everything and everybody. Do not think that anger accomplishes anything except more anger. But this is a strange teaching to our ears. We are not used to that concept. That is not what all the books and all the magazines and the TV shows and many of the self-help seminars and so forth seem to be saying. You can be different. You can have extra sensory perception. Why then would you want OSP, Ordinary Sensory Perception? (laughs) The dispensable church says, you can have an ordinary aura. (laughs) Just a plain ordinary aura. There is a dispensapalian, I will leave her unnamed, who started working as a cleaning woman uh, in a couple of uh, shops near the uh, plaza. And gradually she began to see what these people were doing and so forth. Let's say that they were making jewelry. And uh, she began to try her hand at it and did her job well. The ego takes any spiritual concepts concept and perverts it. So it takes the concept of being ordinary and translate that into being sloppy. And of course, it doesn't mean that. It means that you are not attempting to place yourself above others. You are not attempting to bring the, um, the emotions of the world down upon you, such as envy and jealousy and excitement and so forth. It means you walk gently. It means you do your job well. And she did her job well, but she did it quietly. And she worked very hard to be just an ordinary person. She was just the cleaning woman who had come one step up. And she did her job quietly and ordinary, ordinarily. And she did not enter into the gossip. And she did not take sides when there were factions. And she did not lead uh, marches and uh, for greater pay raises and so forth. Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. But she was just gentle in her work. And it was very interesting what happened. Because she felt almost unnoticed, although she blessed the people, she liked the people, and she helped where she could. And one day, just recently, the people that she worked with presented her with a car. They had reached in their pockets and they had all chipped in and bought her a car. But it was an ordinary car. (laughs) I talked to her yesterday and she was putting on two different waxes on it, cleaning it out. She told me it had four on the floor. (laughs) They saw that she had a little girl, and they didn't think that her other car was safe. And they got together and they said, let's buy her a safer car. 
if you dare to be ordinary, people will not buy you a car. <laughs> Let me leave you with no false impressions. <laughs> but you will not be devoid of love. That is the thing. You see, we think to be extraordinary, to stand out, to be different, to be famous, to be rich, to be beautiful, to be creative, to be whatever it is that the current thing that we're supposed to be, will somehow make us loved more. And this is why it's such a bitter disappointment. Because actually we seem to be unloved. We seem to even be hated the more we stand out. And so we perhaps become righteous about this. But don't you see that if you seek to set yourself apart, place yourself above, how can anyone love you? Because your message is, I am separate. I am different than you. And it's very difficult to love someone who is striving with all their might to be different than you. However, it is not impossible. And we must love those who strive to be different because all they want is to be loved. And they're just making the same mistake that we have made. So this talk this morning is not new grounds for judgment. <laughs> this is not an outline as to how we can now decide in what ways people are not being ordinary. <laughs> because there is no way to decide it. Gail and I have a friend who has a Rolls-Royce franchise. His clients drive Rolls. Double R's, as we call them in Texas, or R's. <laughs> he drives a Rolls. For him, this is an ordinary car. He doesn't have the top of the line. Just has an ordinary Rolls. <laughs> there, are, there is no list of ordinary or extraordinary things that anyone could go by. How then do you know if you stepped into the extraordinary ground of terror <laughs> in which it's just that you will feel this anxiety. You will feel a slight sadness because you are separating yourself. But you cannot decide beforehand what that means. But let's just look at a few things and perhaps you can see this dynamic. Don't you know people who, uh, who have to have an extraordinary pet? Now, what is the function of a pet? Isn't it something to love? Something that we can play with and so forth? But if you have to have a Tasmanian devil and a killer bee named Arthur, <laughs> I mean, they have to have cute names as well as me. Don't you know people who have gone out and bought a very spectacular dog, and then it has turned out to be as dumb as pure white lead. <laughs> it is not a good pet. So this, I've just seen this over and over. People go out to get the impressive pet, the unusual pet, and they don't have a pet. 
they've got an embarrassment <laughs> that looks very good if you peer at it through a car window. <laughs> However, you cannot make a list of what those pets might be, except, of course, the Tasmanian devil and the killer bee. Well, now, Manny. Manny, for example. <laughs> Manny just has a cocker and a fat goldfish. That's all he has, do you see? But he loves them dearly. The little fat goldfish throws him kisses every day. You see. And he's very happy with them. Wouldn't part with them for anything. If his little cocker got lost, he would offer big bucks in the paper to get it back, and people would be glad to give it to him back. <laughs> in fact, there is no one roaming the streets trying to kidnap uh, Manny's cocker. Cars. We have to have the extraordinary car, and then we have to park it so another door will not Dent. Dent it, you see. Maybe everyone here has at one time or another had to have an unusual, envy-provoking car and just look back at that and see the unhappiness. It did not make you happy. But you cannot look at your neighbor and say whether or not he or she has made this mistake. This is not something, this is not grounds for judgment. We ourselves know what we are doing and why we are doing it. And so this is merely a plea to not do anything that causes distance because it will not accomplish what the world says it will accomplish. A while back, there was a very lovely scene that I witnessed. It was actually in another city in which a father, after many years of bitterness, forgave his daughter and gave her and her husband. Her husband was the reason he had not forgiven her for so long. <laughs> uh, and uh, gave them a house. So it was a gesture to both of them. It was not something that they particularly wanted him to do, but they realized the gesture. It was nice. And I remember very well that there was such peace as he uh, signed the papers for the house. And I remember this one teeny, teeny, teeny little moment of unhappiness. It was so small that probably no one would pay much attention to it. And that is, he had an extraordinary signature. And everything was so peaceful, and there was such a feeling of oneness in that room. And then out came the... <laughs> you notice you can never read extraordinary signatures? <laughs> and there was just this moment in which he was praised and looked at with awe or something about the signature. And there was just this moment in which I could see him stepping back into his ego just for a second. You see, that does not mean you should go out and change your signature. Gosh, I can remember as a teenager, David, do you ever practice your signature? I can remember practicing my signature, you know, to have an extraordinary signature. I don't know what happened. I lost that desire someplace. It seems to be something that hits men more than women, I've noticed. Why? 
or uh, you have to give the the extraordinary present, the different present. I told you about the time that uh, we gave a friend of ours a Burmese python. <laughs> Indeed, it was different. And then I remember the uh, the man's uh, wife telling about the pitiful squeals that the live mice made as they had to feed them. They immediately took it out and got finches. <laughs> and now they have four finches in a cave. In a cave. In a, uh, in a cage. They corrected our mistake. Thank goodness. We don't do that anymore. We just give nice presents out of love. We don't try to impress. It does not make happy. It does not make happy to have extraordinary dishes. We had to learn that one. I remember we had these these uh, hand-blown glasses that just cost, gosh, they cost so much money, and they they were not dishwater safe. <laughs> uh, and we just could not believe this. And consequently, we ended up with no glasses because every, they would break every time we'd take them out of the dishwasher. They would be hot, and you'd put some water in them and pop. You see. But they... People commented on them. That was important. <laughs> so, well, it, there's, not, there's no area of life that this does not enter. You have to have the different spouse. The exciting spouse. Gail and I do a lot of marriage counseling. And it is surprising how many people do not think they have an exciting enough spouse. And they're out shopping for someone more exciting. And it's so unhappy. It has nothing to do with friendship and companionship and love and loyalty and commitment. Have you noticed that, that the uniqueness of your spouse wears off like gold plate? after about three months or three years, suddenly they're not gold-plated anymore. And so, if you're going to have your aura balanced, don't have it perfectly balanced. Get, leave it a little out of line. <laughs> and if you have to go out and buy a new set of clothes because the seasons have changed. Go for the ordinary look. This is the new look, the ordinary look. The look where people do not know whether to come up and pat you on the back, you see, because you have no back. This is a subject that is, of course, ripe for misinterpretation. It's a subject that people can take and judge themselves and judge other people. There have probably already been some tinges of guilt over signatures, you see. But it doesn't mean you have to change your signature. It doesn't mean you have to change your clothes. It doesn't mean you have to go out and get... Have you known people who have to have extraordinary houses and how quickly they have to get rid of them and then get one more house and one more house because the, the extraordinary house somehow doesn't work. Doesn't work. 
But we cannot judge what that house might be. The ego says, therefore, it must be ugly. It must be, uh, it must be falling down. It must be cheaply constructed or something like that. Gail recently discovered clothes at TGNY. <laughs> I've, I've seldom seen Gail so excited. <laughs> she was telling me how many times she has walked through TGNY and never paid attention to the clothes. She wouldn't even dare look at them. And she went over and started going through the some moment of insanity or something. She started going through the racks. And she bought several things and came back and she said, do you know how much I would pay for this at, and I will not name the first name boutique, but, you know, we have so many first name boutiques now, so pick your, pick your choice. Do you know how much I would have paid for this? And I forget what it was, 57 cents or something like that. <laughs> she says, no, that's not right. Dollar <laughs> fifty-seven. <$1. 57. laughs> What was it? What was the design? <laughs> 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 Gloria Sander Belt. I had even had a signature. <laughs> <laughs> If people are crowding in at you at a party, and they said, where do you get that blouse? And you say, TGNY. <laughs> You'll have lots of space. <laughs> so, so on the one side, we have this, this curious preoccupation in the world with the extraordinary, all the discipline in the wrong place, all the striving in the wrong place. It's, it's interesting how even, how even styles and muscles change. Have you noticed this? You'll have someone that gets a muscle in a new place and everybody at the spa now has to work to get that particular muscle. Yes, lo, I did this many years back, and I can remember there was a little muscle that popped out right here below my, my elbow. And I went around showing people, and indeed, <laughs> I mean, I'd twist my arm a certain way, and like that, pop, boy, I came right out. <clears throat> I would just make women drool. <laughs> Had to make sure the shirt didn't come down that far. <laughs> And yet there's this great laxness, this laziness, this laissez-faire about our mind. But that lovely, lovely song, that the trouble ends. When love is in our mind, when peace is in our heart. And this, curiously enough, does not take pain. It takes pain to build muscles. It takes sore feet to go to one boutique after the other after the other. Because you've just read a new book on your color. And they don't have it. Curiously enough, 
Mental discipline does not take pain. It's not an unhappy process. So it's not that you're going to have to do all this work and then you can have the benefits. The fun, interestingly enough, is in the doing. So yes, I've mentioned this little exercise of carrying this little pad of paper around with you. Does you have his? Ah, oh, yes, you has his. It's just an ordinary pad. <laughs> ordinary little pencil, you see. And uh, just tracks. You wouldn't want to read this stuff. It's my thoughts. <laughs> trashy, trashy. <laughs> No, it is just amazing what we allow our minds to do. So I can't promise you that you won't be shocked if you take your little pad around with you and you begin working very gently on your mind, carving this lovely, lovely sculpture. So are you striving for an extraordinary mind? It could perhaps be looked at that way since almost no one does this, it's just that it will not be seen and it will not be noticed. But it will be felt because you will be comfortable. Now, once again, they won't chip in and buy you a new car. But you will be a friend. And you will be easy to be around. And there won't be vying for your attention. And they won't be vying to get away from you. All because perhaps you could say, yes, your mind was extraordinary. But the reason that is not a proper term is, is because in mental discipline, in developing your mental strength, your steadiness, your oneness, your single-mindedness, the curious thing is that you join with others. You sense your brotherhood and sisterhood. You sense what is in other people's heart. You see the gesture behind the grossest things that they're doing. You realize every call for help. And so it's as if your arms go out and embrace the world, all because your mind is now disciplined. Does this mean you then let your body go? No, what do you do with your body and your clothes and your food and your dishes and your pet and your house and on and on and on? You let it serve the perfecting, the gentilizing, the loveizing of your mind. Now everything serves a single person, a purpose. And that is for you to be filled with light and nothing but light. And so you live in the house that makes this the easiest thing to do, not the house that makes it the hardest. You wear the clothes that make it the easiest for you to be at the party or be at your work. You eat the foods that do not stir up your body and make it difficult. And of course you Take exercise, not exercise that somehow makes you different or gives you a kind of body that the world presently stamps as magnificent. 
but a body that feels good and that serves your happiness, your mind, your core. Now, the reason that this takes work, it takes extraordinary effort. Our minds are so thoroughly undisciplined that it takes tremendous practice and effort to begin disciplining the mind. The reason for this is that the ego itself never changes. Now, you've heard me say that before. But let me explain why that is such a helpful thing to see. Because you will begin noticing, for example, if you do this little spiritual exercise of writing down your thoughts, or just taking one particular subject and writing down about that. Now, a little while back, Gail and I were working on staying in the present. So any thought that took us out of the present, we'd write down. Recently, we've been working once again on conflict. Anytime we feel any conflict about anything that we are doing, we write, write that down. And it's just amazing how much conflict we feel from the time we get up right in the morning. We talked a little about this uh, last Sunday. And so we've been writing that down. Now, why would we do that? Because it identifies the voice of the ego. You realize in the abstract you realize in some gentle meditation that you do not wish to be as conflicted about everything that you're doing. And so you begin working on that. Or jealousy, or anger, or whatever it is you wish to work on. And so you just, you just write down the thoughts that are connected to that thing. But this does take work. It does require stopping and writing it down. But after you've done this for a certain period of time, you will begin to recognize at least that part of your ego. Then you will take another part and you'll recognize it. And another part and recognize it. Now, along with recognizing it, you will gently begin to see, slowly begin to see the effects that it has on you. It has on your life. This concept has been greatly distorted and misused, but it is nonetheless true. Uh, the other Sunday, I, uh, I forget why, what I was doing, but I was rolling my head like that. It, I was saying something about rolling the head. Ah, there. Right. All right. One child in the audience rolled his head just then. If this was a room full of, of children and I rolled my head, now, now you don't have to do this, you see. This is not, you don't want to act like a child. This is not the point. But little children, you want to be a child, not act like one. Little children have not yet learned to split their body off from their mind. Little teeny children see no difference between their body and their mind. This is why it's this is why oftentimes a good way to bring peace to your child or to quote discipline your child is for you and your spouse to become peaceful together, to become united in one, and then the children begin behaving, so to speak. The reason for this is is that when parents 
are in some sort of distracted state, confused state, angry state, anxious state, whatever it is, the children start acting this way. They identify, of course, with their parents' mind. And so now it's their mind. And they start acting that way. Now, we come in and we teach them not to act that way. To split off the body from the mind. And, of course, in the world, this is necessary. The child must learn that there is proper and improper behavior in the world, although it's crazy. It's totally crazy. The child still must learn this or else they're going to have a great deal of difficulty. But it is quite interesting that the child doesn't know this distinction. And a little baby, it's the whole world. A little baby can reach down and pick something up and their hand is different, and they don't care whether they suck on the thing that they've picked up or they suck on some part of their hand because the whole thing is now different. A little baby sees no difference between them and the world. They haven't learned even the split between them and inanimate objects. The fact is, there is no split. The split is a mental, arbitrary thing that must be learned. And so an undisciplined mind immediately shows up in your body and in your life. Now, this concept can be greatly misused, and people can therefore start trying to do mental tricks with their mind in order to manipulate the world. Of course, that's not what we're talking about. But you cannot be conflicted about what you should eat for breakfast or what you should put on, or should you do your exercises or not, or all these other things that we just start very early in the morning without it showing up in your life and in your body. Because although we have made a distinction, there is no distinction. The mind, regardless of how bizarre this concept seems, is all there is. And we don't have to see that or understand it, but in writing down your thoughts, you will begin to sense that you cannot think along with the world. You cannot think along with your ego without hurting everything. Hurting your relationship with your husband or your wife. Hurting your relationship with your children. It immediately shows up in your body and in everything else. And so we are deceiving ourselves by thinking that we can accomplish something by putting all the emphasis on the external world and making it extraordinary. And this is why this pursuit of super health leaves out one thing. Are you happy doing it? Are you happy eating only what? <laughs> Whatever people are eating now. I, you know, I keep remembering there are people who own, actually own health food stores <laughs> in the uh, group here. So I won't single out any food, but you know how the thing changes every month. And perhaps it's a good diet. But are you happy with the diet? If you're not happy, the unhappiness, the misery, the preoccupation will show up. And that's why it doesn't quite work.
So dare to be ordinary in your life. Dare to be peaceful and gentle. Dare not to stand out. Dare to be just like everyone else. This is profanity to our ego. Be just like everybody else. Dare to be just like everybody else. And dare to have a perfect mind, a mind filled with light. And begin doing this. Begin doing this. Put not so much the effort on eliminating the, the extraordinary. Put the emphasis on now making your mind a friend. And so start with something simple. If the little writing down exercise is too much, then just see if you can't keep your mind centered on one simple idea. Just one idea. The reading from the Course suggested the words, God is. God is. God is. God is. Or, God is here. 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 God is all around me. 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 God is all I want. 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 And you'll do your shopping just fine. You'll drive your car just fine. And you'll make your business decisions just fine. It won't interfere. If thine eye be single, Jesus said, your whole body will be filled with light. Your whole life will be filled with light. Your relationships will be filled with light. People won't behave. But they'll, they'll be so gentle and so innocent in your eyes. Do this now. Dear people, do this now. Start today. It all happens in your mind. Your mind is a part of God. Your mind is a gift from God. It is one with God. It is the door to paradise. Open the door and walk in.